We're going to go to Psalms chapter 90. What I'm going to do for the next several weeks, um, obviously, eventually, my goal is to preach all 1,189 chapters of the Bible. But at the same time, I like to have a variety. Uh, I don't like to be on one thing for too long. You know, I get bored. I'm afraid that you all will get bored. I don't like to be too predictable. And uh, Psalms is obviously a book that um, I haven't done a ton of chapter by chapter preaching through it. We did several. We did chapters several uh, months ago or a couple years ago, maybe, where we uh, went through all the prophetical psalms and we went through all those chapters. But I don't. I didn't record those ones. I wasn't recording the sermons on Wednesday nights, and so I don't have those on record. But um, what I want to do with these ones is we're going to go and we're going to start in chapter 90 because that's considered book four. Psalms is actually divided up into five books. Uh, the first book is chapters 1 through 41 and then 42. Through, I'm not sure, but we are going to do Psalms 90. I think it's through 116, I think. So it's just 17 chapters. And so I picked the shortest or the smallest amount of chapters book. And but it's also a section that has longer chapters too to make it easier to preach a whole sermon. Because otherwise, when I get to Psalms 117, which I won't get to that one, but it's like two verses. You know, preach a whole message on two verses, which I could make that happen, and you all know it too. <laughs> but um, and there's actually there I actually could real easy with that chapter. There's some things that we we see in there that it would be easy to do that. But we're going to go to Psalms chapter 90 tonight, and we're going to preach uh, through. This one and this particular psalm here is a psalm or it's a prayer of Moses. It says the man of God there at the beginning in the chapter title. But let's go ahead and start reading verse one. It says, Lord, thou has been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. So the first thing we see here in this passage is first, Moses is illustrating how God has just always been. Right? God has always been around. Uh, he always will be around. God does not have a beginning. God does not have an end. All right? That is hard for our minds to comprehend, isn't it? It's, so it's one thing for us to try to fathom you know, eternal in one direction, but eternal in the other direction... That is beyond our comprehension. Why? Because we have our time comprehending anything that goes outside of you know time, space, and matter. But we need to understand that God created all of those things. God created time. God created space and matter and all those things. And anything that's outside of that, let's just admit it, it boggles our mind and it's a little more that we can handle. But at the same time, Right here in Psalms chapter 90, God's not trying to teach us about the you know fabric of the cosmos and anything like that. He's just trying to, he's saying right here in a pretty fancy way that, you know, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He's always been and he always will be. God was before there was time. And, you know, years beyond what we can even imagine or nothing to God. Notice what he says in verse 4. This is a very famous verse. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. When it is past, and as a watch in the night. So he's saying a thousand years are like yesterday. Basically, he's saying a thousand years is a day. Well, where do we see that? Turn over to Second Peter chapter three. I think it's important that we uh, that we look at this. We see the same thing said. Peter may very well just be quoting Psalms when he said this in Second Peter chapter three, verse three. He says, "Knowing this first, or, um, let's, or verse eight. I'm sorry." Verse 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, 
that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. All right? He's saying, you know, don't be ignorant of this. Well, how would we know that? Well, we would know that because it's mentioned in the book of Psalms. This is something that was taught in the Old Testament when it says, for a thousand years in eyesight are but as yesterday. And so, um, you know, right, you know, years beyond what we can imagine, they're nothing to God. Okay? Time is everything to us. Okay? But it is. It's nothing to God. You know, a hundred years. Or think, think about a thousand years. Okay? Have you ever just sat around and you think about Methuselah living 969 years old? Now think about that. 969 years. What was going on 969 years ago in our time? I mean, you know, you know how far back that is? I mean, that's before Columbus discovered America. I mean, that, that's before, you know, I mean, all these things that, you know, we know of in history. That is a long time ago. A thousand years, it boggles our mind. And to think that any man ever lived almost a thousand years, that boggles our mind, if we're going to be real honest. It really does. We, we can hardly comprehend that. And even a hundred years, okay? You know, even somebody there, and there's people today that are over a hundred years old. I mean, that, that blows our mind. But you all realize that a thousand years, is just as a day to God. And look what it says um, in verse 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verse 3 and what it says there. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Okay? And this is something he mentions before he gets to the be not ignorant of this one thing. You know, that a thousand years is a day. He's saying that because of the fact that for us, all right, we're like, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus Christ was on this, this earth, and He's not here yet. Where is the promise of His coming? It's looking like it's not going to happen. What are we doing? We're getting anxious because we're thinking, you know, God's running out of time. You know, I mean, listen, pretty soon, the ninth generation that was here in 1948 when Israel became a nation is going to pass. And then what are all these people going to do? They've been saying this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. You know they've got to be getting nervous, all right? Especially now that we've hit the seventy or passed the seventy year mark, and nothing's happened yet. People are going to be getting anxious, and more and more we're going to hear people saying this. But understand that while many people down here are sweating this out, God's not sweating it out because He knows what's going on. And while we're, you know, and, and I say this all the time, and when I say it, I mean it, but at the same time, I know, you know, it's like, you know, the Lord's gotta be getting really close to coming back. And why do we say that? Because of how, how wicked it's getting. And, you know, you, you just kind of looking at your watch, spiritually speaking, and saying, you know, Lord, the way I'm reading things in the scriptures, it seems like you ought to be here by now. Okay? And while we get overwhelmed by these things, you know, there's no way it's gonna be another hundred years from now. It's gotta happen in my lifetime. Well, just understand, our lifetimes are nothing. And it's not all about us. And it's not about what we think and how we perceive things. It's something that's up to God. And years, these things, they're nothing to God. And we, do, we often get anxious. We think that God's running out of time, but He never does. Turn over to John chapter 11. You know, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Let's look at some things here. I love the story, and you, and you all are very familiar with the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. Well, let's look at a few things here, because this is important that we get this, because it's real easy. And you know, Peter warned us that you know, in the last days there are going to be scoffers that were going to come along, and that we're going to be getting people to start thinking, you know, the Lord isn't coming back. 
because it's been so long. So he makes that statement about not being ignorant that one you know day is just a thousand years with God. But in uh, Romans or John chapter eleven, we're not going to look at all the. Uh, you know, we're not going to read through the whole chapter, but let me hit a few highlights for you. In verse 6, it says, When he had therefore, or when he had heard therefore that he was sick, talking about Lazarus, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. Now wait, Jesus has found out that Lazarus is sick. He's got this illness that could kill him. Why is he waiting two days? Okay, now think about this, alright? Forget that you know the story of Lazarus, alright? Forget that you've ever heard the story, alright? Pretend, you know, you're Mary and Martha, or you're one of Lazarus' friends, and he is about to die. What is your prayer? Lord, heal him. Lord, don't let him die. If he dies, he's dead. It's too late, correct? Isn't that what we would, that's what we would be thinking, right? So here they are, they're calling for Jesus, they're sending for Jesus, so he can get there before it's too late. Or what's too late? Before the sickness takes out Lazarus and he dies. Jesus hears about it. What's he do? He waits two days. Why? We've got an emergency. Why would you wait two days? All right. Forget you know the story. Or I can see how you're all looking. All right. You forget you know the story. When somebody's dying and they need help, you don't wait two days. You get there to them. All right. So they don't die. So you heal them before they die. Verse 12. Then said his disciples... Or verse 11, Then said he, after he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, because they're just not getting it, Lazarus is dead. Right? Real plain, Lazarus is dead. Too late, Correct? Yeah, he's too late. Alright? He's too late. Lazarus died. Do you not think Mary and Martha prayed that their brother would not die? Did their brother die? Yes, he did. Do you not, when they sent for Jesus, why did they send for Jesus? So he would come and heal their brother so he would not die. Did Jesus do that? No, he died. He's too late according to everyone's estimation, what everybody's seeing. Verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone laid upon it. These people, like Jesus, could have healed them, but it's too late. And it says right here that Jesus groaned within himself. Um, then I uh, lost my thought. Verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He's basically saying a prayer here for them. Lord, I thank you for hearing me. I already knew you heard me, but I wanted to make sure these people knew that you heard me. So I'm basically saying this prayer so the people already know what I'm praying, so they will see and so they will believe. So Lord, I'm just I'm praying on behalf of them. I'm saying this on behalf of them. And then verse uh, 43, and when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come forth. Now let me ask you, was Jesus too late? Yes, but did it matter? No. Alright, why? Because he's a resurrection of life. Okay? What did he do? He just raised him from the dead. And I say that because we often, we often think that God's got to work in a certain timeline. We think God's got to work in a certain way. The things need to be done by this time and in this way. And often what we pray for and what we ask for do not happen in the way that we think they will happen or even the way that we have faith that they will happen. But it doesn't mean that God's not going to get the job done and God's not going to do what He said He was going to do. But you see, all these things, when things don't happen the way we have prayed for them to happen, it's because of the fact that our real problem is not that God didn't answer our prayer or God's will. It's just God didn't do things in our time in the way that we wanted Him to do them. And you know what? God doesn't have to do them in our time. He doesn't have to do these things in the way we want to do them. You know why? Because His thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And a thousand years is a day with the Lord, and a day is a thousand years. And so what we just need to do is we just need to trust Him. And I love this story because when Jesus here, He's just pretty much being all relaxed, all chill. They've got an emergency. They need to get Jesus to Lazarus so He can be healed. What's Jesus doing? He's taking a sweet old time. You know what He's doing? He's acting a lot like God here, isn't He? Because isn't that how we feel about God right now when it comes to you know Him returning? You know, hey, when are you going to come back? And it seems like he's taking his time, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems like he's too late. And according to our will, many times, he is too late. But you know what? He's never too late according to his will. And you know what? In the story here with Lazarus, he wasn't too late according to his will either. But he was according to everybody else's will. But it didn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you think in your mind... Scripture hasn't been fulfilled the way you think it should, or prophecy hasn't been fulfilled the way you think it should. God's never too late. He's always going to keep His promises. He's always going to come through, no matter what you think and no matter how, no matter how you feel. And that's why we just need to trust Him. He's the one that's from everlasting to everlasting. We only have this short life that we've lived. He's been around for eternity. And He knows what's going on way better than we do. So look at verse 5 of Psalms chapter 90. It says, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning, and they are like the grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. A lot of what he says in here reminds me of what we see in the New Testament where it says, you know, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What they're expressing in that passage and this passage are very similar, showing that our life is so short, it's nothing. Moses, in Moses, he's contrasting our short time that we have compared to God, who's from everlasting to everlasting. It is amazing how we are today. You know, we have, you know, we have your typical, well, somebody my age, you know, 37 years old. And if I'm not careful, I can get this attitude that I know more than the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. 
I mean, let's just admit it. Sometimes we, in our minds, we're thinking, Lord, what are you thinking? I mean, am I the only one that's ever felt that way before? Am I the only one that's ever been like, you know, Lord, you should have handled this this way. Lord, you should have done this. But understand, you know, I'm 37. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He's got a lot of experience. He knows what he's doing. And while time is nothing to God, it's everything to us. Because understand, he made time. He has no beginning. He'll never have an end. But you and I, what do we have? Three score in ten years. And maybe by strength, we might get four score. We might hit 80 years old. But you know what? That's like a tale that is told. Just like a little story. You know, we watch a movie. You can, you can watch a movie. A two-hour movie that often tells the life story of a person. You ever watch a movie like that? A two-hour movie that tells some person's entire life story. Two hours. It's just a little movie. We can all sit down and do that. No big deal. And you know what? That's what our life's like to God. It's just like this little story that you tell. And you know what? When you put it in perspective, that's very humbling, isn't it? Because I don't know about you. I mean, in many ways, you know, our life is everything to us. Because think about it. I mean, what else do we have? I mean, you know, we, we just have this one life. That's it. We have this one chance on earth to do something, and it's very limited. It's very short. And that right there, it ought to humble us. It ought to, it ought to cause us to say, you know what? I want to make the best of these years. Maybe I should trust the one who's from everlasting to everlasting instead of trusting in my own wisdom. Because while we're very limited in what we know, God knows every little detail about us, doesn't he? God has the very hairs of our head numbered. God declares the end for the beginning. God knows what's coming. God knows what's going to happen. So why, why in the world would we be foolish enough to start questioning God? Why would we doubt the Word of God? Say, so, well, it looks bad. Well, who cares how it looks? Remember what happened with Lazarus. It looked really bad then, but did it matter? Well, you don't understand. I'm backed up against a corner right now. Kind of like the children of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army on the other side. Kind of like that. It didn't seem to bother them, or it didn't seem to hurt them, did it? They got through it. God came through for them. And we have story after story like that in the Bible. We have promise after promise with God. We have verses like, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Yet, what do we do? We often find ourselves in a situation where things look one way, and then what does it cause us to do? We immediately doubt the one who's from everlasting to everlasting. I don't care what situation that you're in, understand that not only has God been from everlasting to everlasting, not only is He eternal, God has also seen every detail of every life that has ever been lived. So do you think when you're in your little problem that you have, that God's like, man, I've never seen this one before. I've never seen this situation. I've never seen this problem. No, he's looking at you and he's saying, I've only handled this a couple billion times. And I was 100% successful every time. I think I can handle this too. We need to get that in perspective. You see, we all think we're the center of the universe. You know, there's the debate out there. You know, does the universe revolve around the sun or does it revolve around the earth? Well, I think the real debate is, does the universe revolve around you? All right, because that's the real attitude that we have today. And you know what? It's foolish. We need to understand this isn't all about us. And we've got this one chance to do something for God. And maybe we ought to just trust Him. No matter how it looks. Just, just go ahead and trust Him. 
So, because God knows every, God knows every little detail. He's seen it before. Okay, it's the same thing too. We we're always talking about how there's Hollywood. They just they don't put out anything original. It's just same stories all repackaged a million times. And sometimes my wife will get aggravated. We'll be watching a show or something, and they'll they'll be in some kind of dilemma or some kind of situation. Then I'll just sarcastically, you know, you know, be like. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen here, you know. Oh, man, they put kryptonite on Superman. I think this is going to kill him this time, you know. They always get out of it, all right. You know, Batman, oh, I don't know. Batman's probably not going to save the day this time. You know, they always, you know what's going to happen from the very beginning. And what? Do we, and we, why do we say that? Well, because we've seen that movie a thousand times or a movie like it a thousand times. Maybe not exactly the same. And that's how it is with our lives. Our problems, we think they're unique. We think they're brand new. We think nobody else has ever faced them before. But you understand that God has seen everything. And not only has he seen a billion other people in your situation, he sees your situation. And you know what? He sees the end from the beginning. So just trust him. All right? He knows what's going on. Just trust him. Look what it says in verse 11 of chapter 90. It says, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Okay, this is kind of the theme of the chapter here. I titled this one, you know, teach us to number our days. Why? Because we're seeing here in the beginning of the chapter that, hey, God's from everlasting to everlasting. Before creation, before time, there was God. He always has been and he always will be. There, that's God there, but then there's us. Okay? Then you have us who we're here for three score and ten years, maybe four score. If, if by strength. There, there, then there's us. There's a massive contrast here. We've only got a short time. We only know so much. But understand, we have a God who knows everything. We have a God who uh, wants to work with us and wants to be there, uh, be there for us who wants to help us. So you know what? Why don't we, having understood all this, why don't we start to number our days? In other words, why don't we start being wise in how we use our time? Do we really want to waste years of our life backslidden? Do we want to, because, and especially backslidden, because we are in doubt about God. God didn't handle something the way we thought He should, so we're going to go backslide for 10 years of our life when we've only got maybe 80, and we're going to waste 10 of those years doing nothing for God. There's people that get bent out of shape, and they get out, they, you know, they get out of church because somebody hurt their feelings. Really, you're going to waste time that you could be using to serve God because you're, you're bent out of shape a little bit, or a difficult circumstance comes in their life. And, and I'm not, I don't want, you know, I'm not trying to be unmerciful or anything. You know, God has been good to me. I have not gone through anything like this. But at the same time, okay, a lot of people have lost loved ones. A lot of people have suffered severe tragedies. And they've gone on and they've kept on serving God. They kept trusting God. And many times when people will lose a loved one or they have some type of severe tragedy in their life, what do they often do? They often spend a big portion of their life questioning God, thinking, Lord, I can't believe you let this happen to me. Well, wait a minute. Listen, we don't have time to sit around questioning God. We don't have time to sit around questioning His ways 
and asking why. You know, because we we only have a short time. Let's number our days and say, I'm not going to waste them. Let's not get all caught up in just the things of this world. You know, really, do I do I really want to go and spend that much of my life, you know, working all these extra hours and making all these extra sacrifices just so I can have a bigger house? I mean, do I want to work on my house on this earth or do I want to work on my mansion that's in heaven? You know, is, is that extra money really worth it in comparison to eternity? I mean, I'll only get to enjoy it for maybe 30 or 40 years. Am I re- do I really want to waste my time with that? I've only got one life to live. We've got our stupid world that they always want to say this, you only live once. And whenever people say you only live once, what are they usually saying? You know, go ahead and do something stupid. You know, go ahead and try everything. Go ahead and do this sin or do that sin. That is ridiculous. Because of the fact, I think you only live once should be a good saying. Meaning, we only live once, let's get it right this time. Since we only live once, let's not waste it in stupidity. Since we only live once, you know, maybe I shouldn't go piercing myself up and tattooing myself up and beating myself up and, you know, drinking myself to death and doing drugs. I only live once. So why would I go and do things that are harmful to my body? I only get three score in ten years, maybe four score. Why would I do something to shorten that? I only live once. Do you all see how that should be a wise saying? But it's usually a saying for the stupid. You see the people with the YOLO on their t-shirts and stuff like that and hashtag and YOLO. You, I mean, go on Twitter, do a search, do hashtag YOLO, and go see how many things are mentioned in those tweets that are stupid. Things that are wrong that will probably shorten people's lives. Probably almost all of them will be. But the truth is, we only live once, so let's do something for God. Let's accomplish something for Him. Let's not waste our time. We ought, we need to be aware, you know, we, so we should understand that, you know, hey, His, His wrath is coming on this world one of these days. Jesus Christ is gonna pour His wrath out on this world one of these days. So we need to number our days. You know what that means? That tells me, well, hey, God's gonna pour His wrath out on this world one of these days. I need to see what I can do about that. We know what there's a verse in the Bible that talks about saved people have not been appointed under wrath. You know what? First thing I need to do is get saved. But you know how many people are out there today who they don't want to get saved because you only live once. It's like they want to go try all the sin. They want to go try all the junk. Well, they what they need to realize is you only live once. You better get saved in this life. That might be the first thing that you do is get saved. That should be the first thing you do is get saved. But they do. They've, they've got a messed up mentality because... They're unbelieving. And so every day that God gives us another day, He's being merciful. Back to Second Peter chapter 3, uh, after where he, uh, he mentioned a thousand years is a day, um, in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some encount slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. So we see that every time, every day that God gives us another day is God being merciful to us. So you know what? Since we only live once, since we have been given another day, since God has been merciful another day, you know what that, that tells me? Why don't we take advantage of it and do something for God? Why don't you take advantage of it and get saved? And I do, I get, I get frustrated when I'm out soul winning 
and you have these people that you talk to, and they tell you they believe everything you're telling them, but they don't want to get saved yet. Well, not right now. Uh, eventually, uh, I'll probably get you know I'll, I'll get saved, whatever. And I, I hate when I hear that because God's being merciful to you today. And understand, the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. You're not going to see it coming. You might, you don't know that you have tomorrow. And so you know what? Maybe you ought to just get saved today while he's being merciful. Maybe you ought to number your days and say the first thing I ought to do is get saved. That would be the way we would number our days and apply our hearts into wisdom. We'd get our priorities right. We would make sure that we were saved first. And then next we would make sure that our family is saved. And then after we get ourselves saved and our family saved, we start working getting our friends saved and those who we love saved. And then after that, start getting even those that we don't know saved. Those that we don't you know, per, know personally, start getting them saved. Why? Not necessarily for us, but for God. This is our chance to do something for Him. We only live once and we've got eternity ahead of, ahead of us. In fact, we've actually got a thousand years on this earth that we had to look forward to. And what we do in that thousand years depends on what we do during these fourscore years that we have. So I don't know about you, I want those thousand years to be as good as possible. So I better, instead of focusing on what can I do to live a life where I can have as much vacation as possible, so I can retire as early as possible, you know what I need to do? I need to see how much I can cram into this life. See how much I can accomplish. Let me see how many people I can get saved in this life. Let's see how much I can do for God. As much, for as much time as He gives me, I want to be doing something for Him because there's a millennial kingdom coming that's going to last for a thousand years. And so, I don't want to waste this time that I have. If I've got some time to waste, I want to waste it in a time where I've got a thousand years. Not in a time when I've only got 80 years if I'm lucky. So, that's, that's just common sense right there. Alright, so if, if we're going to get any vacation, I'm going to shoot for some in the Millennial Kingdom. Alright, not here on this earth. That should be our mentality. That's called numbering our days and applying our hearts unto wisdom. So look what it says in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. So what right now, what should we be doing, alright? What should we do, be doing during this time? Three score and ten years. Alright, that's all we've got. Maybe four score. So what are we supposed to be doing during this time? Well, notice what it says in verse 13. It says, return, O Lord. Often when it's saying, when it says return in the Bible, it's basically saying, it's kind of like saying repent. He's basically saying, you know, turn back from what you're doing. You know, turn back come back from that he's saying return o lord uh or return o lord how long and let it repent thee concerning thy servants you know what he's saying you know, lord be merciful to us don't judge us 
Lord, don't you know, pour your wrath out on us. He mentioned his wrath before in uh, verse 11 that was mentioned. Verse 14, O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. First thing we need to do is asking God for mercy. We need to recognize the fact that, you know, while we only do have the three score and ten years, we have wasted a lot of those years, have we not? We have sinned quite a bit during these times. We do not deserve to go into the kingdom of God. We do not deserve eternity in heaven. And what, I, what did I mention is the first thing a person ought to do is get saved. And one of the ways we get saved is we've got to ask for forgiveness from our sins. We've got to ask God to be merciful to us. We're asking God for a, the free gift of eternal life. Do we deserve that? No. For God to give us that gift, He's got to be merciful to us. And thankfully, He's promised that He will be merciful if we will ask for those things. And so I, I think we need to be asking God for mercy. We need to ask God to do the work that we are incapable of doing. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. When it comes to our salvation, okay, most of the world thinks our salvation is somehow based on our works and what we do. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that our salvation, it's not about our works, it's about the death, burial, and resurrection or the work of Jesus Christ. And what we need to do right now during, the, during this time is we need to ask God for forgiveness, ask God for mercy, and what we need to do is we need to believe the gospel. We need to trust in His work. We need, we need Jesus Christ to do the work of our salvation. And thankfully, He did that on the cross, didn't He? He did do the work of our salvation. He paid for our sins. He paid our debt in full. And all we have to do is just believe on Him. That work has already been done. We need to ask God to help us. And then after we do that, after we get saved, we need to ask God to help us do something with the time we have in this earth. Verse 17, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. When it comes to getting to heaven, we can't. there's no works that we can do, right? We need God to do the work, correct? I think we're all in agreement on that. That for us to get into heaven, God has to do a work for us. In order for God to do that work for us, He has to be merciful to us. Thankfully, God is merciful. Thankfully, God sent His Son into the world to die on the cross and pay for our sins. He's offered that gift of salvation to all who will believe. And when we believe on Christ, what happens? We are cleansed from our sins. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return and He's going to change our vile body into one like His glorious body. Salvation does take works, but just not our works. It takes the works of Jesus Christ. And sadly, we have just millions and billions of people today that are trying to get to heaven and they're trying to do it through their own works and they've never done these two things of asking for mercy and asking for God to do the work through Jesus Christ. That's what a person must do. But then after we get saved, all right? So we're, the, we're all the church here. Uh, we're assuming everybody in here is saved. If, you're, if you are saved then what is it you need? Now you need to do something. Now you need to accomplish something. You're saved. We want to number our days. We don't just say, all right, I'm saved. I'm good. I'm just going to wait for the millennium. I'm going to wait for the rapture. I'm just going to wait for heaven. No, let's do something. You can do that if you want, but you're going to regret it for all eternity. 
You know, and people do. They, they get all mad. They get all bent out of shape because we go souling, we get people saved. A lot of these people, they never go to church, they never do anything for God, and everybody's just all mad, like, you know, that's not fair. Well, listen, um, you know, yeah, I want people to get rewards. I want people to do stuff for God. But ultimately, what we're, we're going souling. What are we trying to do? We're trying to pull them out of the fire. We're trying to keep them from going to hell. Okay? But if they want to earn rewards, that's up to them, isn't it? Okay? We can't, you know, we can't make them do that. Okay? There is a difference between getting saved so you don't have to go to hell and so you can go to heaven and earning rewards. There are going to be some people that are saved, yet so is by fire. There are going to be some people whose works are all going to be burned up and they're not going to have any precious stones. There's going to be a lot of people that are like that. There are going to be some who are going to inherit ten kingdoms. There are going to be some that only inherit one kingdom. There's going to be some that aren't going to get much. So you know what? You know, Don't get this attitude. It's not fair that the people that we went out soul who never come to our church and never do all the things that you know, Pastor Tommy preaches about, it's not fair that they get to go to heaven and I get to go to heaven. Well, it is fair because of the fact that salvation is free and it's without works. Period. End of story. But rewards are earned. Okay? Rewards are earned. When Jesus comes back to earth, He's bringing His rewards with Him. It doesn't say He's bringing His gifts with Him. It says He's bringing His rewards with Him. Gifts are not earned. Salvation is a gift. But rewards, crowns, these things are earned. And this is our chance to do something with them. And I wish, I wish everybody that got saved when we go out soulening, I wish they would all come to this church. I wish they would all serve God. I wish they would all start earning rewards. But you know what? I can't make them do that. I, I can't. And I, I'll, we try the best we can, and in some cases we succeed. Some people do get saved and start coming to church. And they start, do start doing things for God. But some people don't. And don't get this attitude of, it's not fair. That's ridiculous. You don't even know what you're talking about when you say that. And definitely don't get this attitude of, well, you know, they're better off than I am. No, they're not. If you're doing something for God, you're going to be well taken care of. You know, Jesus said that no man has left father, mother, houses, and whatever... You know, that will not receive a hundredfold in the kingdom. God's going to pay us back for the works that we do. So it's not fair. I, you know, if I wasn't given this tithe, I could afford the payment on the new boat. Well, would you rather get the eternal rewards for being obedient, giving to the work of the Lord, or would you rather just get the reward of catching a fish? Alright? That at best, you might eat and get one meal out of. Or would you rather have rewards you can lay up in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt? What does that mean when it's saying lay up your treasures in heaven where moth or rust nor rust doth corrupt? It's saying the treasure you lay up in heaven, you can actually keep those things forever. How many treasures have we laid up on this earth that are moth and rust hath corrupted? How many cars have we spent a fortune on that are sitting in a junk pile today? Why? They got old. They deteriorated. They got corrupted. And we're going to waste our time with those things? Hey, there are eternal rewards out there that are coming for those who are serving God. I do not envy saved people who are going around doing everything that my sinful flesh desires, things that I keep myself from. I don't envy them one bit. I'm going to be taken care of. I only live once. 
So I want to make this time count. I'm going to number my days and I'm not going to apply my heart to foolishness. I'm going to apply it to wisdom. And so the theme of this chapter and the main thing we need to get from it is the importance of using our little time we have wisely so we can accomplish something for eternity. So if we're going to accomplish anything, there's, there's three things we need real quickly. Is one, we need God to be merciful to our failures. Notice how often Moses is asking for mercy in here. We, you know, we need to understand that, hey, we're still sinful people. We mess up all the time. We need to, we need to, you know, we shouldn't get this attitude of, well, man, I'm doing work. I deserve this. I deserve that. Hey, while we're doing this work, let's not get a cocky attitude. Let's not get this attitude of thinking, you know, man, I, I'm probably going to be the richest guy in heaven. You know, I'm, I'm going to make Donald Trump look like a pauper. You know, I, we, we shouldn't get that kind of attitude. You know, what we ought to be doing while we're doing this work, while we're numbering our days and applying our hearts to wisdom. Every day, we ought to be asking for God's mercy. Because let's just admit it. There's a lot of good things that we often do that we do for the wrong reason. Well, wouldn't that cancel out the reward? You know, if I'm if I'm just going and I'm preaching a message and I'm doing the work because I have to, I'm doing it because it's expected of me. I'm doing it not for the Lord. I'm doing it for your sake because I want to keep people in the church off my back. Am I going to get a reward in heaven for that? If, am I still going to get a reward? I don't know. You know, honestly, I you know I'm nervous sometimes talking about you know what would earn a reward versus not earn a reward. You know because. Even when I do good, evil is present with me. So you know what? In the meantime, I'm going to learn from this chapter here that's teaching us to number our days. And every day, you know, be asking, hey, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Hey, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me do something good today and help me do it for the right reason. You know, help me accomplish something for you. I've only got one life. I've only got a short time. Lord, be merciful to my many, many failures if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna earn rewards, if I'm gonna see, have great things in eternity, it's gonna be because you were being merciful to me. And so we've got, we've got to ask God that. And then also, we need to ask God to do a work through us and in spite of us. Okay? Cause look at verse 17, or um, verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. See, in the end, because we're so sinful, because when we do good, evil is present with us, we, that is why we need God to just use us and do a work through us. And that's why we need to just figure out, alright, how can I get this flesh out of the way? How can I get myself out of the way and just let God do something through me? Because I don't trust myself to do the right thing. I've only got a little bit of time. I need God to do something big in my life. And I can't trust myself. So Lord... I need you to help me follow your leading. Lord, help me follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to get this rotten flesh out of the way so you can do something in my life, so you can do a work. And when and the thing is, when that happens, when we do get out of the way and God does a work, you know, if we're honest, we know it's God doing the work, don't we? There's been many things that have been accomplished in my lifetime and even things that have been accomplished here at the church where I just look at it and it's like, yeah, that was definitely God. I wouldn't even, and listen, I'm known for trying to take credit for everything, all right? But there's some things I would not try taking credit for. There, there's no way I would do that. It's clearly God. And truth is, the most is going to get accomplished 
through us when it's God that's doing it. And so we need to have that attitude, like in verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. I'm not, I shouldn't be trying to do things on this earth right now because you know, this is my chance to accomplish something. So I've got to make sure I look as great as possible. I've got to make sure as much of the world knows who I am as possible you know, because that will somehow prove my greatness. No, what would prove any greatness at all or what would actually earn me rewards is when I'm doing things that actually glorify God. That's what will actually make the difference. So I need it. we need to be asking God to do a work through us and in spite of us. And then finally, we need to just overcome and get busy ourselves. See, this attitude of we need, I, I just need God to do a work through me. Some people often will take that and they'll use it as an excuse to be lazy and do nothing. It's like, hey, you know, when are you going to do something for God? Well, I'm just waiting for God to do a work. I'm just waiting for God to open doors. I'm waiting for God to just give me this big sign. In the meantime, I'm going to do nothing. Well, hey, listen, while you're waiting on God, nothing wrong with you just going ahead and getting busy doing something. All right, while you're waiting on God, you know, it's like everybody's waiting for this, you know, day of Pentecost type moment, you know, where a rushing mighty wind comes through and there's a cloven tongue of fire above our head, and then we're just going to do something big and do something great. No, hey, how about while you're waiting for God to do something great, why don't you just get really, really busy doing the things you know you're supposed to do? Why don't you pour yourself into the scriptures? Why don't you, I mean, just start going soul winning like crazy? Why don't you just start looking for things in the Bible, looking for commandments that you can keep? Trying to live a holy, pure, separated life. Do it, just do the things that you know you're supposed to do. And if we would do the things we know we're supposed to do, you know, then maybe God will fill us in a great way and we'll see great things happen. But either way, you know, waiting for God to do a work is never an excuse for us to sit around on our lazy cans doing nothing. And there's a lot of people that are like that. There's a lot of churches today that are sitting around doing nothing except praying for revival. That's foolish, alright? That is foolish to just sit around praying for revival. Now, is it okay to pray for revival? That's fine, but in the meantime, why don't you be doing something? How about you do what God actually said to do? How about you just get real busy souling? How about you get real busy being obedient to God, preaching the Word, studying the Word, doing the things that we know we're supposed to do? That actually is what revival is anyway. Okay? It's not this you know, moment that comes where everybody feels good and everybody's running around and happy and shouting. All right, it's when we're actually doing what we're supposed to do. And unfortunately, many people, many churches are just literally, they have hit a dead end. They are going nowhere. They are accomplishing nothing. And they're just sitting around, just waiting, doing nothing. That is not a good idea. The days of our years are three score and ten. By reason of strength, they be four score. Listen, we only have a short time. Let's number our dates. It's, man, I can't believe it's almost been seven years already since we started this church. Almost seven years? Really? Um, uh, you know what? We need to step it up, you know? I thought we were going to be running like two or three hundred by the time we got to, you know, seven years. And, you know, I, that, that's what I thought, you know? You know, I expected God to do all kinds of different things. The Lord has not done everything according to my timeline. Does that mean He's too late? Does it mean He's lost control? Does it mean He doesn't know what He's doing? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, 
His timeline doesn't work like my timeline. He's way off according to my timeline. But it doesn't mean that he's too late. So in the meantime, what can I do? Well, I can number my days. I can make sure I'm using my time wisely. I'm going to make sure I do all these things mentioned. I'm just going to ask, keep asking God for mercy. Hey, Lord, we mess up all the time here as a church. Lord, be merciful to us anyway. Lord, can you just bless us anyway? Lord, hey, can you do a work for us? Or we're doing we're doing the best we can. We're, we're you know putting our efforts out there to the max. But you know what? Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain to build it. We need you to do the building. We need you to, to accomplish something. But in the meantime, Lord, you know while I'm just waiting for you to do something, while I'm wait, waiting to watch you do a work, I'm going to stay as busy as I can. I'm going to use my time wisely so we can accomplish great things. And so I think we see a great lesson here in chapter 90 about numbering our days, applying our hearts to wisdom. We only live once. Let's use this time right. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Help us, dear God, to do what this chapter says. Help us to number our days. Help us to apply our hearts to wisdom. Help us to just get busy doing things for you. And dear God, I pray you will do a great work through us. Lord, help us to realize there's there's so much more than just this life. And help us to realize there's eternity ahead. There's a millennial kingdom coming. And help us just... Uh, uh, not get all focused on the things of this earth and the treasures of this earth and help us to realize that this is our chance to really do something for you and, and show our faith. And I pray you'll bless each one for that. In your name we pray. Amen.